Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where I have just two words for you, root canal. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, complete insomniac at this point, and general manager here at the Nachum Segal Network. You can find me here right after Allison, right before Nachum's live lunch. A good morning to Yoni. An odd two words. Yeah, well, not odd if you've been living my life for the last week and change. I guess, but I was not expecting that. I was like in my head quickly, like, what are the two words? And I got nothing. Yeah, because you're not in pain. And because I am in pain, Yoni, yeah, it's real. Yes, no, no, no. Not I'm thank not... God that you're in pain. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good cover. I'm not, um, I'm not wishing you pain. Thank I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. I now, am, however. There in... are days you do wish. Yes, yes, yes. But I am in some significant discomfort. I had I'm a root sorry. canal. I had a root canal last week. Um, it went fine, but um, I and I finished the antibiotic. I did everything I was supposed to, and yet I am still in some significant discomfort. So I'm going back right. to the dentist. I'm actually going fun. to the dentist on Friday. Friday. Yeah. And he hopefully will make a couple of adjustments that w- to the work of the endodontist that will then correct my pain, will cost me a new crown, but will correct the situation that is still causing me pain. So fun. Are you a Seinfeld fan? I forgot. I'm not an anti-dentite, if that's what you're yeah, about to the, ask me. And I just literally, like this morning, watched on like Facebook some like mini Seinfeld episode or whatever. Oh, really? and it was of uh, Dr. I think it's Watney, yeah. right? The dentist? Sure. So it's the whole uh, you know Seinfeld that he doesn't mm-hmm. like that he's making Jewish jokes. He's just converted to Judaism and the whole thing. Correct. Too yeah. soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good episode, so by the way. So that now you say this. Correct. I'm not an anti-dentite. I have no problem going to the dentist. I am, though... Not so happy with the whole teeth situation at the moment. And I am taking way too many painkillers at this point. It's waking me up in the middle of the night. Is it? Yeah. The, it's like, what is the pain? Yes. Or? Oh, okay. The pain is waking me up. You know, tooth pain is ridiculous because it's just such a small part of your body and yet it causes such tremendous pain. Same thing with like stubbing your baby toe. I was going to say, yeah, like any part of your body probably just no. causes a lot of pain. Because stubbing your baby toe causes so much pain, oh. even though it's very quick. Yeah, mouth though is rough. Mouth is bad. Because it lingers. Oh, it kills. And you know, tooth pain doesn't go away. You think it's going to go away. I'll just wait around. Just make a living. Right. But I did, I mean, life's been busy the last couple of months. So even though there was this ongoing problem, I, I happened to have pushed it off. Yes, and yes. And it made it worse? So I don't know that it made it worse in terms of what ultimately needed to be done, but it certainly gave it a slightly more drastic diagnosis than just a root canal. Okay. Um, I did learn something very interesting, though, is that while the endodontist was was completing the root canal or in the middle of the root canal, I texted him because obviously I couldn't talk. I texted him. I said, (laughs) do you um, are you finding the decay that you would expect? And he said, decay is not the right word. And I said, okay, is whatever that is presenting itself what you would expect for this, you know, for a root canal? And he said, he said, yes, your mouth is filling with blood. Because, it seems, there are two parts of the body that do not have an outlet when they bleed. Yeah, I've heard this. The teeth. Right. And the, or I should say the mouth and the head. Yeah. So all it does is pool. Right. So once they t- once he tapped into that part of the root that was a problem, that blood therefore needed somewhere to go, and it pooled into my mouth. Now, I couldn't taste it. I couldn't feel anything. Lord knows that that, um, that, that blocker certainly worked. 
certainly worked. But nevertheless, what he expected to happen happened. And I did not expect after the antibiotic and whatever else to be in this kind of discomfort. But here's the punchline of the root canal. Boom. So the root canal happens Wednesday, right? Friday, I text him at like five o'clock in the morning in, you know, in some significant pain. And I have a pretty high tolerance for pain. Insignificant discomfort. Um, I am not sure what's going on here. But, uh, but you know, this is where I'm at. And obviously, I'm going to a three-day three antif. Right. I have concerns, mm-hmm. right? So he says to me, listen, I think you need to see an oral surgeon today. I said, an oral surgeon? It's Friday. It's, it's Arab Shabbos of a three-day antif. I'm not, I'm not going to see an oral surgeon. And I write back, you've got to be kidding me. He said, I'm not kidding you. Um, I looked again at your x-ray, and I was concerned that the impacted wisdom tooth behind the tooth that had root canal was going to still cause you residual pain. I did mention that to you. So you need to see an oral surgeon today and get that taken care of. <laughs> so I wrote back to him. I'm not seeing an oral surgeon today. And um, you did mention that you were concerned that the tooth behind the root canal tooth was going to cause me pain, but I don't have my wisdom teeth anymore. My wisdom teeth are gone. So he says to me, you got them out since the last time I saw you, which would have had to have been... 36 hours before him, right? And I said, no, I got them out when I was 21. Am I so smart that I was able to grow another another wisdom tooth? About two, three minutes goes by. I don't hear from him. And then he responds and he writes, I'm really sorry. I was texting two patients at once. You you need to just continue with the antibiotic. You should be fine in five days. And the painkiller, I'll call you in something stronger. You do not need to see an oral surgeon. (laughs) Wow, that's... uh... (laughs) So I wrote back to him. He's like, I'm so sorry for the confusion. I'm texting two people once. I really apologize. And I wrote back. I'm like, nah, it's fine. As long as I don't have to see an oral surgeon today. (laughs) What do I care? Yeah, totally, totally fine. But, um, But it was all good. And now I have a feeling that once I go see my dentist on Friday, this should all be cleared up. But until then, I'm I'm continuing with the Advil. Yeah, that's basically the story of my tooth pain. Uh, let's go through the national holidays. It is roller coaster day, Yoni. Nope, I'm out. Me also. I am not interested in the least bit. And while some people might think that because of my personality, I'd be a huge roller coaster fan, no, I am not a roller coaster fan. I like staying on the ground. Yep. I don't like things that defy gravity. Oh, I yep. shouldn't say that. I get in planes. Mm, don't like it, though. Right. No, I'm fine. You're the one who's not fine with the planes. Yeah. Um, it's also Random Acts of Light Day, which actually is very interesting because it is um, it is an awareness day for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society uh-huh. that have Light Up the Night events that bring awareness to different kinds of blood cancers and to get involved in one in your community. I've participated in one. I just didn't know that there was a Random Act of Light day yeah I, I didn't know what that meant until you clarified but that's, yeah that's very but they're nice. actually very very cool and to get involved in them you can certainly go to the, the website for the lymphoma and leukemia society and check it out the other thing i want to mention that starts today yoni that had i known i might have actually gone to ohio to participate in this it is the national duct tape festival that is correct. The 13th through the 15th of June, and I put it in my family group chat, and my daughter, who's in Israel for the year, writes, should I come home for this? Because she's obsessed with duct tape. Then, of course, we all became obsessed with duct tape. It is the National Duct Tape Festival. It is taking place in Ohio. I'm pretty sure it's actually Avon, Ohio, which is pretty, pretty nutty. Um, and yes, I was right. It's the Avon Heritage Duct Tape Festival. It actually looks pretty cool. 
Yeah, uh, I'll let you take a one, not a one-way ticket, but a right. one Thank single you, ticket. Thank you, Yoni. Yeah. <laughs> yes, one June June thirteenth through fifteenth. Um, have you ever done? Have you ever had fun with duct no, tape? You're not a duct tape person. No, I have duct tape because it's it's a very useful. It is important piece of any apartment of any living situation. Fair point. Even for sofas, but um, not asking. <laughs> if that, but, that if that's I'm... what that green stripe is down <laughs> down the middle of your couch. Yeah, I don't really want to know about yeah. it. Uh, we're going to skip the fortune cookie for this week because I'm punishing myself as I have an entire bag of fortune cookies at home. And until I bring it in, we will not continue with that segment. So hopefully, 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 I will bring it in next week. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I am joined by a returning guest and a, a, a sage advisor in terms of raising children in this day and age, somebody I turn to constantly. It's Dr. Michael Solomon. He is senior psychologist and director of ADC Psychological Services in Hewlett, New York. You can go to psychologicalhelp.org for more information. And we're discussing camp in 2019, summer camp in 2019. Good morning, Dr. Solomon. Good morning. Thank you. By the so- way, duct tape is like the Force. It has its dark side, but it keeps the world together. Oh! For all you Star Wars fans. Nice! I'm going to say that's like the fortune cookie. That, exactly. That was, the for- that was the bonus fortune cookie, but that was, Doc, that was deep. I like that. Oh, my gosh. Really deep. <laughs> it was. No, no, no. That's good. And I'm happy we have another duct tape fan on the phone with us this morning. You know, funny thing is that I send my kids to camp with duct tape because, as Yoni mentioned, it comes in very handy in many different ways. But let's talk about the metaphorical duct tape. We have first-time parents who are sending their kids to summer camp for the first time, and there have to be do's and don'ts, not only for the parent, but also in for how they cope as a parent with sending their kids away, what to do when those buses roll off out of that parking lot and head upstate, but also do's and don'ts in terms of how to handle the kid and your kids for the first time going off to camp? Well, kids are excited to go, but they're also very nervous about going. And there's going to be an argument. Inevitably, there's going to be some argument that the kids are going to have with mommy and daddy. And mommy and daddy are going to have to learn to just let it roll past them and not get engaged in it. That's the most common thing that I've seen. And that's before they get on the bus? That's like in the prep? (laughs) That's in the prep. I want this to go in my luggage. I want to take this on the bus. Make sure I sit next to this person. If you can, let me make this person. I'm going to cry. That kind of thing happens all the time. Um, and it's accepted uh, behavior, and 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 best way to deal with it is just to kind of ignore it, um, let it pass. And then there's the issue of how much do I tell my kids to protect themselves. That comes up a lot. Um, and, you know, if talking about kids who are going off to camp, usually they're third or fourth graders the first time they go. Right. And these kids have already been introduced into the idea of protecting themselves and not letting them touch them. It's more likely to happen in a camp than in other places. At least that seems to be the trend. Um, so kids know, but they need a reinforcement from their parents before they go. Um, and I don't know, what the, you know, it depends on what the policy of the camp is in terms of being in touch with parents but parents should be in touch with the camp, at least in advance of the kids going, and about the policies and the procedures that the camps have about uh, supervision and right. activities and who's going to be uh, at every activity. There should never be a counselor alone with a child. There should always be two adults, uh, things of that nature, and, and parents should be teaching their kids that type of thing. Does it surprise you also in terms of, I mean, we'd also like to give counselors um, advice about being camp counselors in 2019. Certainly the landscape looks incredibly different 
than when it did when I was going to camp in the 80s. And while we say it tongue in cheek that that things that took place either on boys campus or a girls campus or whatever in the 80s certainly would have landed plenty of people in jail had they been taking place now. And none of it to be honest, is funny, but times have changed and our perspectives have changed and our understanding of, of, of nature and, and of children has changed. So in terms of being a counselor in 2019, does it surprise you that um, counselors in certain camps, I mean, maybe all camps at this point, are advised that they should not shower um, in the bunks when, that there are, when there are kids in the bunks, but rather should do it on one of their off periods? No, it doesn't surprise me at all, and I'm happy to say that a lot of camps are actually demanding their counselors get training on how to behave properly around the kids, and I was involved in a video that's now available, at least in part, online for counselors and how to behave around children. Look, uh, counselors are really the ones, when it comes down to it, who are most responsible for their campers' safety. Not just safety that they don't get hit with a ball right. or they, they get into trouble and, and swim. They're responsible for their safety whenever they're in charge of the kids, whatever that safety is. And there are certain things that go along with that. When I was a counselor, nobody ever taught us what to do. Mm. Um, and there were issues that came up. Uh, hopefully we handled them well um, and properly, but... I think it's good that it's been codified and, and there are protocols available and anyone who's a counselor who's worth their salt needs to get the proper training or at least watch the videos and, and camps should mandate them. And, and a lot of camps have already have. I'm happy to say that a lot of camps have already done that. What, but what, what, what can a parent say? I think this is what I'm trying to get at. What can a parent say to a first-time camper that is going to both make them aware, but yet, but yet not alarm them in terms of what you know they should expect and what they should protect themselves from. Obviously, you don't your kid's nervous to begin with. You're nervous to begin with, right? And and all of these nerves are totally, totally natural. But we understand as parents that there are other things to be wary of, and there are other things that could potentially lurk. So, how do you advise your kids about being aware? Um, and being protective of themselves without making them nervous? Well, the first thing is, uh, before you even decide on the camp for your children, you should check with the camp as to what they, they teach their counselors and what their policy is for taking care of, for, for watching out for campers' safety. Um, and once you're comfortable with that, then you can tailor your presentation to what you think is most important for your particular child. Uh, it kind of just follows that if the camp has trained the counselors to behave a certain way and they have certain standards and they're going to follow up to make sure that the, the counselors keep to those standards, all you need to tell your kids is um, make sure you're safe don't let your, and don't let anyone touch you in your private parts and go in and have a great time um, if your camp, camp that your child is going to doesn't have these protocols in place, then, then you need to have a much more involved a deeper discussion with your child are you are you i mean i'm sure that your level of awareness in terms of camps that are that do have protocols and unfortunately in 2019 camps that still don't have protocols is much vast more vast than than i ever want to know i don't want to know the camps that don't have protocols but or that don't that haven't had conversations 
But but tell me, they are far and few between at this point, right? I mean, we're all sensitive enough to situations going on and to the reality of our community, even our community, right? We are we are more sensitive and aware of the situations in our community in order to say, listen, we have to address these issues in our camps as well, right? That's correct. And, and you're right. More and more and more camps are actually doing the right thing. They're putting the protocols in place. They're requiring their, their campers, that their counselors, junior counselors even, to get this training. Um, and, I mean, thank God. Right. We needed this. No, you're 100% right. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm joined by Dr. Michael Solomon, who has joined me before, and we are discussing camping and parenting in 2019, and counseling, I should say, if that's actually a verb, in 2019. What other advice can you give besides, you know, the, the, the um, let's use that word again, those protocols, those guidelines that counselors are, are kept to in terms of how to interact with their campers? Besides those that are being set down by camps, what else can we tell counselors who are listening today or parents of counselors who are listening today in terms of additional sensitivities that they can, and, and, and not just in the realms of, of uh, being um, sexually protective or protective of oneself and safety, but also in terms of you know something a little bit lighter, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this sort of, you know, tongue-in-cheek is homesickness like homesickness is still a big deal in 2019 especially I wonder in terms of the fact that we're so connected to our kids technologically that now that our kids are being cut off do you see that as potential for greater homesickness yeah it's actually one of the biggest problems we have and parents unfortunately feed into it instead of allowing kids to learn how to cope with overcoming that sense of homesickness. We're actually reinforcing it by, by insisting the kids have their phones with them all the time and being free, free to contact uh, parents whenever they feel like it. Um, the only way you grow is by taking chances, and, and children have to take the chance of letting go and learning to take part in activities more. And unfortunately, parents sometimes don't understand that. Right. Um, so... I've told parents, you can send your child to camp without a cell phone. Mm. And, and, and they look at me like I'm crazy, frankly. Um, but I think it's a healthy thing to do at this point. And when does a counselor look at a camper and say, maybe this homesickness is going on too long? Maybe, maybe I need to address it. Well, counselors are basically teenagers for the most part. Right. They don't have much experience in life. What they need to do is to know when to turn to the more senior people in the camp and ask them to step in and not be embarrassed to say that. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with this camper. Um, please help me out and, fig- and figure this out. Maybe there, this is severe homesickness or maybe it's nothing. Um, unfortunately, there are times when, when, when counselors believe that they know all the answers, hmm. which is typical of teenagers. <laughs> Right. I mean, I remember those days myself. Right. And Um, then there's, right. And then, so then assuming that we're talking about responsible camps, and I would say at this point in the conversation, we certainly are addressing ourselves and and discussing responsible camps. Camps have procedures also for how to deal with homesickness. And when it's time to make a, a, I don't, the word is not administrator, but a higher camp official more aware of what's going on in a particular, with a particular camper. That it's out of the ordinary. Right. 
the people who are older or more experienced are the ones that uh, counselors need to learn to turn to. And and frankly, if if they don't do that, then they're not being good counselors. Right. If they're taking everything into their own hands and they're assuming that that they can handle every situation. Very interesting. Let's go back to um, to that conversation that we started with the beginning about making sure that kids are aware, etc. Parents who are starting to have this conversation with their kids for the first time. I mean, it's a little late to the party in terms of telling your children that your body is yours. No one gets to touch it without your permission, etc. But if you're sending your kid to camp and this is a third grader or a fourth grader and they've never left home before and for some reason or another... You haven't had the conversation yet. How do you start that conversation before the kid goes away? You sound like a mommy who's done this before. I, I Thank God I am a mommy who has done this before. But in terms of um, speaking to parents who we've been buddied with through the camp and questions that this uh, that these other parents have had, I sort of wonder, and they're sending their kid for the first time, I sort of wonder, wow, in 2019, you haven't, you haven't talked to your kid about this at all yet? Like that to me befuddles me a little bit, but I understand that my approach to parenting is not everybody's approach to parenting. So assuming that there are parents out there, and I think it's a safe assumption, who have not had a, this sensitive conversation with their child yet, what are those first steps in terms of broaching the conversation and making the kid comfortable enough to have the conversation with the parent in the first place? Okay, so I have to believe in 2019 um, that most, if not parents, schools or physicians, pediatricians, have broached the topic with, uh, with these kids on some level. I think it's inevitable that uh, they've ha- heard it. Mm. For a parent who doesn't have the ability to do that, uh, it's not the kid who's going to be uncomfortable. It's the parent. Right. Good point. Um, and, and the only way we get past that discomfort is by, by opening the conversation. There's no other way to do it. So the best way of doing that is saying, look, this is an uncomfortable conversation for me, but I don't want it to be something that you're afraid of talking about with me. So let's talk about self-care. Let's talk about protecting yourself. And once you get past that, that hump, that fear, uh, it's usually a very easy, quick conversation. Because kids will say, oh, I know already. And then you say, oh, really? What, what have you learned? Mm. And, and, it, and it flows from there. Right. And allowing the kid, in this case, to take um, almost to, to take the wheel in terms of the conversation, not only puts the parent at ease because the kid is doing, I don't know, I would say a lot of the talking, but also... The, the, the child is empowered by the information that he or she may have and didn't realize that they had all that information. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not as, so if you haven't taken the plunge yet and had this conversation with your kid, you should be, um, you should be comforted in the fact that they're probably also ready to have the conversation with you. You just have to open the door. Correct. Exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that most most, most of the people who are listening, your, your audience, the people I know, um, their children have been exposed to self-care and self-protection somewhere along the way by the time they're in third grade. Right. 
If not, then the parents should be finding out why the schools aren't doing it, and uh, they should advocate for it. And like I said, a lot of pediatricians are now sensitive to raising those kinds of questions with their patients uh, for mm. the, at their well visits. And uh, actually, I think, if, if I'm not wrong, I think the American Pediatrics Association is now requiring pediatricians to ask certain questions of children, even at a young age. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I, I'm impressed by the initiative that's being taken. I'm also semi-stunned <laughs> but um, by the necessity, but at least we're all being honest and, and therefore being able to be proactive for our kids. That, I will certainly say, is a comfort. Dr. Michael Solomon it can be reached at 516-596-0073. Again, he's the Senior Psychologist and Director of ADC Psychological Services in Hewlett. Go to psychologicalhelp.org. Doc, I, I thank you as always, and I not only for your advice and for your guidance, but also for your honesty. And while I would hope that every psychologist that we bring on the air or that has the opportunity to join us on the air is always honest and refreshing, somehow or another, the way you handle it um, is also very comforting. And I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doc. Again, Dr. Michael Solomon can be reached at ADC Psychological Services, 516-596-0073, psychologicalhelp.org. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. So much information to process. Having a safe summer for your kids is obviously the most important thing. We want them to have fun. We want them to have a great time, and we want parents to have a great time also, but we want everyone to maintain their safety. You know what we're going to play right now? I'm going to bring this up in the background. It's the live version of Yisbarach Shimcha by Eitan Katz. This is off of, tell me when you can hear it. There we go. Just wait. Be patient. Yeah, it's off of his live concert album from Yerushalayim. It's like a little, uh, little Aton Katz concert happening here at the end of That's Life. It's a little hard to talk over it, to be to be honest. There's a lot of good vibes, good excitement coming from it. Afternoon continues with a full pr- day of programming. Live lunch hosted by Nachum Siegel begins in just a few moments. Hear more about the crazy antics that go on in this studio and probably more about my root canal starting at 11 a.m. Throwback Thursdays at 1 p.m. Encore of JM Rewind at 4 p.m. And, of course, the Arab Shabbos show hosted by Mark Zamek, brought to you by our friends at Kedem, begins at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Join Nachum tomorrow morning as he hosts JM Name from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. At the conclusion of JM Name, join Naomi for a brand new table for two. And then stay tuned as you enjoy the encore of the Arab Shabbos show, hosted by Mark Zamek, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. And then the Arab Shabbos music mix continues here in the New York area until candlelighting. That's all day long, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull this Motzei Shabbat. Matzis hosts JM Sunday as he has been seamlessly, that is 7 a.m. Sunday morning here in the New York area. Listen to that. That is good music. Enjoy the rest of the song, folks. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.